Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Landon Braverman. Landon is an NYC-based composer originally from Vancouver, Canada. His musicals include Picture Perfect, Queen of the West, and Choices, and his musical The White Rose is in development. He is also working on a new record of singer-songwriter material and is the co-founding artistic director of the Canadian Musical Theatre Collective. He graduated from Mount Allison University and the Graduate Musical Theatre Writing Program at NYU. We're going to talk today about rock operas in musical theatre. Hey Landon, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hi Shoshana, nice to see you. Uh, so we're going to get started with our first section of Get to Know Our Guest Questions. Great. Let's do it. What is the last great musical you saw? So I have a fake answer for you and a real answer. Okay. The fake answer is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, parts one and two, which I know is not a musical, but mm-hmm. it's the last great thing I saw, and I think it actually works like a musical. Oh. Rhythmically, musically, um, stylistically in many ways, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a musical. In terms of an actual musical, mm-hmm. uh, Groundhog Day. Oh, interesting. Which I loved. I thought yeah. it was really unique. It was obviously technically fascinating and beautiful, but I also thought the ideas of the story were not um, getting the attention they deserve. I think it was actually a really beautiful meditation on life. Mm-hmm. And I think it had its problems, but every show has its problems. And I think there was a lot more in there to celebrate. Um, I was surprised it didn't uh, get the traction that mm-hmm. you know I thought it deserved. Yeah. Uh, what older or classic show did you recently see for the first time, and what was your experience with it? Hello, Dolly, with mm-hmm. Bernadette Peters. Sacrilege! I'd never seen Hello, Dolly until then. Never listened to it. I mean, I knew a few of the songs, right. mostly from Wally. <laughs> uh, that was my exposure to it. I don't know why. It was just one of those random Golden Age shows I'd, I'd never been there exposed to. There haven't been many big revivals until now recently. I guess so. Um, and it was never done uh, in Vancouver growing up, so that's probably another reason. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was musical theater heaven. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I feel like that was the quintessential American musical comedy concoction. It was like, it was everything you could hope for. Um, I thought for me, what was particularly special about it was the way that the movement really Mm. emphasized the story and the comedy. Um, You know, I think a lot of people, um, like in the same week I saw that, I saw the revival of Carousel, and obviously there's been a lot of talk about Justin Peck's choreography and the heavy use of ballet, which was undeniably beautiful. But I actually thought the uh, the storytelling uh, and the uh, the pizzazz and wow factor in terms of the direction of the choreography and Hello Dolly sort of piqued my interest more. I just mm-hmm. felt it was so smart. It was so seamless. It didn't look hard. It didn't look difficult, yeah. even though it was unbelievably intricate and crazy at times yeah well I mean what I love about um Hello Dolly having now seen it again uh is that the movement is also a celebration 
of like the the character's new life. Totally. Like, so when they dance, when they move, yes. you like feel that that joy that yes. they're you know, it's not it's it's that expression. I also just loved the that perfect American musical book structure. Like, it mm-hmm. reminds me of Guys and Dolls, how you have all these other disparate characters that in some ways you would think, like, why are they getting this kind of attention? But but they all deserve to be there. They're all there for a reason. Then it yeah. all ties together in a perfect little bow at the end. And <laughs> all of it makes you so much happier for it all being there. Who is your favorite musical hero and your favorite villain character? So he's an anti-hero, but Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. for sure. Because he's just fascinating. Yeah. And he gets such delicious music to sing. That is true. Yeah. And for my villain, it's definitely going to be Aaron Burr from oh, Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Who's also so complicated <laughs> and interesting. So it's uh, the complicated, interesting characters that have good music to sing. Yes. <laughs> I like some nuance. Yeah. You know? Is there a musical, one you saw recently, or an older one, that you feel changed you or your life in some way? Well, I'm a musical theater composer, but I I wasn't uh, originally. I was a performer. And then in college, I um, taught myself piano and started moving into composition and then wound up at NYU. And I feel that there was something that I saw a couple years before that got me into this possible mode of moving to the piano and writing that was seeing a production in vancouver of falsettos Mm -hmm. um for me well first of all i actually auditioned for that production uh and it was me and two other guys who i was friends with uh two other boys from high school who were up for the role uh of jason uh they both got it and i did not and they alternated it uh and i actually feel like that was meant to be because i got to sit in the audience multiple times and watch them both do it I had never known that you could talk about issues like that on stage mm-hmm. or sing them in that sort of style and with that kind of humor and that kind of heart and that kind of depth. Uh, I bought the original uh, double album and I used to fall asleep to it. Nice. So it really like, it was the first time I think I really thought about the writing mm-hmm. less so than just like the production and oh I want to sing that song because I'm a 15 year old singer and I want to dance that number because like look at that awesome tapsel. I was like this is really fascinating from a text mm-hmm. point of view and from a you know musicological point of view I just really hadn't heard anything like that cool what's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love it's a tie City of Angels and the Most Happy Fella I seem to be tied to things that I have no business to be writing. Uh, I have no reason to be writing, you know, legitimate operetta in the style of a golden age musical. It's like not, I think, what I'm uh, primed to do. And I'm certainly not an expert at jazz theory. I don't think I could pull off what Cy Coleman did in City of Angels. And I think that's why I love escaping into that score the first time I heard it. It just blew my mind what mm-hmm. what he was doing. So why would people be surprised to find out that he loves Why those? would they be surprised? Because most of the stuff that I am into, that I talk with people about, that I analyze, and that I write is in a contemporary and pop and rock vein. Mm-hmm. I'm not really someone who would you would probably regularly think is 
going out and um, mm-hmm. obsessing over the City of Angels score, <laughs> which I still do. Well, let's move on to our topic. Great. Which is rock operas in musical theater. Rock on. Yeah. So <laughs> let's let's just get started, I guess, with um, what is a rock opera? And... What? Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good question. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we have to go back a little bit to where this idea started. It was this thing of sort of a, a rock opera concept album of rock and roll bands saying... You know, we want to explode the form a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, and try seeing if we can put a more complete narrative onto this record. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you can go back to uh, Sgt. Pepper, which isn't necessarily telling a a whole story, but there's definitely thematic elements and reprises. Uh, There is stuff from the Kinks and other bands of the late 60s that are considered conceptual but the real first one that i most people credit of course is tommy mm-hmm. by the who because it has a very succinct story and when they went out and toured it they dressed up in the costumes and like really tried to tell the story and perform it right. so i think what is a rock opera then as we get to the musical theater side it's like this idea of first of all a contemporary rock and roll style being used in a theatrical format and also with that, the fact that it is operatic and that it is pretty much through sung. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I see it as defined. Yeah. I don't think I could have defined rock opera or even given an example of one until I saw Jesus Christ Superstar. Right. It was even just like the style of opera singing, but in rock. Right. It was like yeah. people reaching for those high notes oh, yeah. and like... That was like, yeah, that was like a big moment. And low notes too. Mm -hmm. The villains are written as, you know, super, super basses. I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber was clearly trying to think operatically, not just in terms of like through sung and scale, but also vocal ranges. Yeah. Yeah. So just seeing that and seeing how much like an opera it was, I was, I finally was like oh this is rock opera and i think it's probably fair to say that jesus christ superstar in terms of musical theater is the first first rock opera you know tommy became a rock opera in the musical theater context but that wasn't until i think that was the nine mid 90s that the des mackinoff production Mm -hmm. happened uh but i think we can definitely say that um that jesus christ superstar was the first however what's interesting is uh they didn't know if it would become a stage piece. They mm-hmm. wrote it as an album. I mean, right. Angela Lloyd Webber is on record as saying, you know, we tried to make sure that the music is told, or excuse me, the story is told through the music and the lyrics alone mm-hmm. because we just thought it was like a rock concert. Yeah. And then it took off. So we think like Angela Lloyd Webber kind of started this genre, this rock opera genre? I think that Jesus Christ Superstar is definitely the first in terms of a rock opera. If we're talking about, you know, rock and roll on Broadway, I wouldn't say that's the first. I think there's a lot of talk in our business, especially nowadays, like before Hamilton at least, oh, is Broadway behind? Or people just mm-hmm. say, Broadway's always musically, genre, sound-wise, 10 to 20 years behind. I don't think that was always true. Obviously, we know in the golden age of the 40s and 50s, those were the top selling top selling right. records. Those were the pop songs of the day. And then there was this split in the sixties mm-hmm. with the Beatles and the British invasion. And you know, I you can't really name a British invasion 
rock musical of the right. 60s. However, you do have hair. Right. And you do have Bye Bye Birdie. There was rock music happening on Broadway. It was just right. very stylized to musical theater. So I think that the 70s then explode with things like Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita. In the 80s, when pop music and rock music was becoming more synth-heavy, yeah. you have stuff like Les Mis and Miss Saigon. You have the, mm-hmm. the British mega musicals, which right. I think are also responding to what was happening in current contemporary music. So this idea that it was always 5, 10, 15 years behind, I don't actually think is accurate until sort of the 90s when mm-hmm. you see like what was the big show in the early 90s? It was crazy for you. <laughs> when like Broadway was sort of, you know, in terms of a uh, um, a market mm-hmm. share, wasn't doing very well. Uh, Rent, of course, is the exception, and it exploded everything open right. again. Right, that was like a little later into the 90s. Though. A little later into yeah. the 90s, and I think there's a similar culture to that around what happened with Jesus Christ Superstar, which is mm-hmm. you have two different camps of people coming into this genre. So you have the musical theater nerds who are like, oh, right, you know, the stuff we're hearing on the radio, we're hearing in the genre we also love, and like, it's cool, and we're cool. Right. But then you also, I've, I've talked to people um, who are in their, like, 60s now, about what it was like when the Jesus Christ Superstar record came out and they would like go to parties and put that record on and it was people who were musical theater nerds but also people who were absolutely not and everyone just loved this album because the songs were good and it was a story that everyone knew so I think Rent was a similar thing where you know Mm -hmm. everyone knew Seasons of Love you could go to some summer camp and someone could start playing that on guitar and almost everyone there could sing it (laughs) which is really interesting and then I feel like that didn't happen again Mm -hmm. because so much of the big musicals of the early 2000s the producers Hairspray um, you know Legally Blonde and other things like that they were really in the tradition of like musical theater mm-hmm. uh, might be pop and contemporary but it's like much more musical theater it's not rock and roll right hamilton of course explodes everything you know i i teach music to kids and i have six-year-olds that can sing yeah. that album to me that's crazy and i bet you there were six-year-olds that could have sung you something from jesus christ superstar when that came out right right yeah interesting so it's kind of like the the musical that uses contemporary music after like a dry spell (laughs) Um, well yeah I think also we forget how ballsy that was you know like especially in England they had just come out of they'd still coming out of the war Um, it's still a pretty conservative society and you have these two young British lads that are like we're gonna write a rock opera about Jesus Christ and he's a superstar and you know, Mary's going to admit that she slept with a lot of men Mm -hmm. and Judas is going to, you know, rock out and question Jesus to his face and to the audience. And Jesus himself is going to look up in God singing a high A and say, why are you doing this to me? Maybe this is a stupid decision. I mean, people forget it was banned for the first year or two. Then it just became its own thing. You couldn't sort of stop it. Uh, The sales were too gigantic. One of the questions was, we were talking about was, were rock operas like a part of their time or are there new yeah operas written today i think that's a really great question i think it depends on what we're calling like rock opera versus versus rock musical Mm -hmm. i know people have been talking about electro pop opera Mm -hmm. i think if we're talking about rock and roll on broadway yeah i'll be honest in my opinion i think there's a dearth of that Uh i think there's a lack of it uh, I can't think of that much 
in terms of real contemporary pop and rock that's authentic sounding yeah in the last 10 15 years except for hamilton in terms of pop and r&b and rap yeah i thought here lies love was legitimately immersive in that genre Mm -hmm. and still very successful in storytelling i think alex timbers did so much amazing work Mm -hmm. in elevating this what was really a concept album uh into a really full emotionally powerful and satisfying piece yeah and then of course there's american idiot I loved the visceral nature mm-hmm. of it. I love that this was authentically rock and roll on a Broadway stage. I mean, these were l- the original arrangements expanded for an orchestra. The singers could really kill it. Um, but my issue was I thought it was a bit of a lost opportunity in terms of the storytelling. I felt like one of the reasons it may not have run as long as they hoped is that because audiences beyond fans of the album and the band weren't really connecting with it on a deeper emotional level. And I think that's because there wasn't enough uh, commitment to the book and the characters. Obviously the foundation was there. You're dealing with like really, really deep political themes and and, uh, big consequences for some of the characters, but yet there wasn't really any book to back it up. So you have these amazing songs that Billy Joe Armstrong and the band wrote that Mm -hmm. are really, really deep and affecting and they do stir you emotionally but they can only go so far if you don't have the book yeah. to support it when you're sitting in a in a proscenium theater right but then like compare that to hair though because yeah. hair doesn't really have a book and that's like yeah and it's and it's a very lot successful of songs uh rock songs that people love and are, are and great. it's you know it's funny I've, I've seen productions of hair where i walk out totally numb uh-huh. and i was like okay, I loved all the tunes, I hummed it, it's great. And then I've walked out of versions where I was super emotional and into it. I think that's really a director's show. Mm. Because like you said, the book is sort of, uh, it's mellifluous. The score is mellifluous. It just flows in and out. There's also like six different versions of it. I never sort of know when I'm seeing it, like what version you're really getting. The order of songs is different. What happens to some of the characters is different. Um, I think... Hair is really great late 60s uh, revolution pop rock. But mm-hmm. I think Jesus Christ Superstar is when it really starts to sound like rock and roll. Right, right. Yeah. And so then I think you mentioned both these terms, but I want to be clear on what we think the definition of a rock opera is as opposed to a rock musical. Fair enough. I mean, I guess we would say a rock opera is working under the idea that it's a through-sung piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And a rock musical is probably a book show with rock songs. But I like what you said before about um, a rock musical being more like a standard musical in form with uh, the type of music being rock. I think of something like Once, which mm-hmm. is like a folk rock yeah. musical. I wouldn't call it a, a folk opera. It's not. Right. It's not through sung. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely a rock musical. Yeah. Well, I think even through sung doesn't have to mean that that it's necessarily an opera. I'm thinking of something sure. like Next to Normal. That um, Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people call that a rock musical. They don't call it a rock opera. Yeah, well, and, it, and it, I think it's pretty much all through sung. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's like 95%. Um, but yeah, it's not, which is why I think I go back to Jesus Christ Superstar, where the, it's 
it's not just like a story being told with rock music. It's like, it's really using the operatic form right, right. of like these like melodramatic characters yeah. and like the voice, like really like using the voice and it's and stretching it to you know heighten moments and tell and, and I, I think it's interesting stories. you bring up next to normal because a lot of people call it a rock musical i wouldn't call it a rock musical mm -hmm. call it a contemporary musical with some mm. rock shades yeah you know we can debate for right, hours right. what is rock and roll right or I, just a musical that's using like the right contemporary music. what i think is yeah. so interesting i remember seeing the original production again on a trip when i came down here and it just blew my mind it like yeah. and it was just when i was starting to like play piano and move into yeah. being a writer and i think that the mixing of the genres mm -hmm. was so cool and i do know that there were you could see it in the audience especially the harder hitting numbers where you know that distorted guitar would come in like you'd see people like wake up because i yeah. think again there is still a lack of rock music on broadway yeah. i feel like we almost went backwards if you were to ask me, like, what's the most authentic rock and roll I've heard on Broadway recently, it's actually School of Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, also Andrew Lloyd Webber. Also Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> I mean, there are parts of that show where, and I have to give huge credit to the orchestrator, it really rocks. Like, yeah. they've got two or three guitars in the pit, and you can hear it. I mean, it is crunchy, distorted, it's simple power chords. And it, it hits. Yeah. It hits really strongly. And I think that's one of the reasons, like, kids have really responded to right. it. Right. Yeah. So you, and that's, but that is a rock musical. That's a rock, oh yeah. And that's a rock <laughs> musical, not a rock opera. Yeah. But it's definitely a rock musical. Right. Or Dreamgirls, which mm -hmm. also I, I think is, I mean, that's a legitimate, the original, not mm -hmm. the movie. That's a legitimate through sung, maybe not a rock opera, but a pop opera. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has got some of the most fascinating use of pop recit ever written. One thing we didn't talk about is what is the word opera besides right. through sung? One critic talks about how rock music and opera are both massive overblown spectacles. <laughs> so that's true. Opera lives in this heightened world yeah. with plots that are both very simple and also incredibly intricate and have right. high stakes. Usually people die. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could say the same for a lot of what we call the pop and rock operas. They're mm -hmm. pretty much overblown stories with very high yeah. stakes, hard on sleeve, someone usually dies. Right. So I mean, I wonder if we could also say it's operatic in the terms of uh, through sung, but also this idea of high stakes, big songs, uh, recit mm -hmm. mixed with arioso, mixed with uh, mixed with arias, which would be the big power ballads. Right. Um, mixed also with, in the case of rock operas, because it's for the stage, production numbers, right. or in the case of opera, ballets. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's any other elements. I think the other idea is the orchestration. Mm -hmm. The fact that it lives musically in a world where uh, you can have rock and roll music, mm -hmm. but it's operatically orchestrated yeah i think the orchestrations and arrangements for things like jesus christ superstar or dream girls are just as unbelievably intricate and fascinating in examination as some of the great operas and some of the great you know golden age musicals that right. we, you know as the bennett orchestrations which um deserve to be celebrated but i think so do some of the the things in jesus christ superstar i'm thinking of like Miss Saigon, say. Mm. And 
which is very operatic in form, in content. And vocal in ranges, too, vocal which ranges. we didn't talk about. It's definitely an opera with contemporary for the time style right. sounding music for the musical theater stage. So are we saying like rock, when we call rock opera is more like the rock sound of the day? I think we could. Yeah. I think you could. Uh, I think there's definitely an element of with rock and roll, you've got something that hits a little harder on the ear mm-hmm. and maybe something that's a little more rebellious, which yeah. is definitely what you hear in Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, but then, you know, you move to the 80s and you're talking about like very fairly, you're talking about something like Miss Saigon or Les Mis. Yeah. But what about chess? Right. Now, is chess a pop opera or is it a rock opera? Right. A lot of people call it a rock opera. Uh, a concept album that was a rock opera, uh, you know, because there's parts of, of chess, you know, look at Pity the Child and that crazy guitar solo. That's not pop. That's just rock and roll. So we have these rock operas, but we also have these uh, rock pop musicians or mm-hmm. and other genres writing scores for musicals usually movie musicals right um, right <laughs> coming in tis the trend right uh so do how do we look at those it's a great pieces? question yeah you know there definitely is a difference between a musical theater writing team creating something for the stage in a rock and roll contemporary style mm-hmm. versus rock and roll artists writing for the Broadway stage. And in some ways, it almost seems to go in reverse or sort of meet in the middle. Because mm-hmm. when it's done really well, yeah. you're getting what you want, which is like this authentic rock and roll sound right. telling a good story in a musical theater style. So obviously, because Andrew Lloyd Webber was obsessed with Rodgers and Hammerstein, that's like well-documented, and would sit in those West End theaters watching all those classic productions. Mm-hmm. He grew up on that. He loved musical theater. But he was also young and rebellious and really into rock and roll. Yeah. So this first great piece he writes with Tim Rice is Jesus Christ Superstar, which, you know, to most people be like, this is not a musical. Right, <laughs> it doesn't right. sound like a musical at all, except for the fact that it's telling a story. It has a through line. Yeah. And it has multiple characters. And, you know, within one track, you have multiple voices singing back and forth. Right. But otherwise, it sounds like rock and roll. Uh, but now, you know, you have Cindy Lauper writing Kinky Boots. Uh, is that a rock musical? Yeah, I would say so. It sounds like right. a contemporary musical. You know, we also have to credit the arrangers like Stephen Aremus in terms of Kinky Boots did such a good job of taking her style, that yeah. sort of 80s synth and a little bit of 90s pop style and mixing it into a Broadway uh, showy and storytelling style. I think it worked very well. Obviously, like the show has been very successful. Yeah. I actually think something that was really authentic sounding was The Last Ship. Oh, yeah. I know that the show, uh, you know, maybe didn't garner a lot of fans, but I, I'd encourage listeners to go back and just listen to the album. Just mm-hmm. sit back and listen to the music because the score is stunning and really beautiful and it's very authentic folk rock with clear characters and clear story. And who was the... That was Sting. Sting. So yeah, let's do our deep dives. Let's start with the Vita because we've been uh, talking about Jesus Christ Superstar a lot. Sure. So I think... Evita is interesting. It's less hard-edged rock and roll yeah. than Jesus Christ Superstar. 
because I think he was trying to incorporate uh, these uh, Spanish, or excuse me, these Latin musical styles. Mm -hmm. So you get a little bit more of a of a campy musical theater vibe in Evita. Yeah. But then you also get these moments where Che especially comes out and is just killing it with the band and right. it's like full on Andrew Lloyd Webber 70s pop rock or of course those moments that are immortalized by people like Patti LuPone where she's right. just yelling at the top of a register with like crazy drums and brass and yeah. it's very rock and roll what I love about Evita is I think it's a legitimately fascinating story mm-hmm. that obviously now with Donald Trump is like crazy interesting this idea of a populist leader and you know the whole metaphor of Evita is like uh, acting it's all an act almost every song if you go back and listen to the lyrics there's some illusion either herself saying it or Mm -hmm. Che saying it and questioning it that this is all an act you know that great song in the second in the second half of the show the actress hasn't learned the lines you'd like to hear Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is really I don't know if you could say the show was ahead of its time, but I definitely don't feel like there were musicals at that time, except for maybe Candor Neb, mm-hmm. that were so direct right. in their political address mm. and so sardonic and sarcastic. I mean, yeah. when you listen back to it, some of the stuff that Che does is like, he's so sassy. <laughs> he's so sassy and he's so rock and roll. Yeah. Um, I love, and, and we'll talk about this in Jesus Christ Superstar as well, I love that it's got this conflicted uh, narrator, right. this like conflicted Greek chorus that's also directly involved in the plot. I think the opening is so cool mm-hmm. because it does such a good job of setting up the time, the place, the language, yeah. the history, and also it's a requiem. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's coming right out and saying, We're doing an opera. Yeah. You know, the whole show starts with this, you know, layered, full ensemble. Uh, Requiem, which then directly segues into a pop rock tune Mm -hmm. uh, with this narrators coming out and saying you're going to meet this person who's really nuanced and, and questionable. Circus, so what a show Argentina has gone to town Over the death of an actress Called Eva Peron We've all gone crazy Cool, well let's go turn to uh, Jesus Christ Superstar Oh boy I think it's really cool that it has a real overture mm-hmm. It has a legitimate five minute overture that is a compilation of all the different themes from the show and it really sets you up that we're in this rock and roll milieu and then it goes into this riff that unbelievable which you know you're going to hear through the whole show it doesn't matter how many times they play it it's such a good riff that you stay with it and this character you're like that's Judas like the Judas comes out and just looks right at you and says we have a problem 
for like 
uh, I want him so, you know, I can't, I can't seem to shake him. You yeah. know, it's like so rock and roll. Right. Uh, it's right. so rock and roll. It's so pop. So I think then when you look at Act Two, we have to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane song, mm-hmm. which is Jesus's aria yes. of rock god proportions. Yeah. I think it is one of the greatest pieces of rock writing, mm-hmm. actually. Like just rock period, right. rock pop music. And I think it's one of the greatest uh I mean it's not in the eleven o'clock number position, but it uh in terms of because it's early in act two, but it feels like right. it's the eleven o'clock number in like character mm. placement. And I think it's one of the greatest numbers ever written for musical theater in that sense uh yes it's rock and roll and some people are going to think it's very repetitive but the structure is actually very bizarre Mm -hmm. doesn't have a traditional structure the structure is driven by the character's conflict uh and everything in the vocal line that builds up of course to the crazy why should i die that crazy high note whatever it is like the c or something uh so I, i i love that i think the audacity of the lyric, this direct address to God, which yeah. no one would think would be appropriate in 1969, 1970. And, and then at the end, when he brings back the lyric, what I started, and then he looks at God, he says, wait a minute, it's what you started. I didn't start it. And then that huge horn and string section oh comes gosh. in, and it's so romantic. Yeah. It's operatic. Right. It, I just feel like you get everything in that five-minute song. Yeah. You want to, like, understand what's rock opera? Listen to that song. Yeah. You understand it all. think what's cool about act two is what you're seeing from a if we want to talk about this from like for the music nerds listening from an academic perspective Mm -hmm. basically i think act two is all of the themes betraying the characters that sung them Mm. and the example i'll give of that is judas's death which is him coming out and singing uh one of his themes from act one which then takes him into taking which takes him into singing I Don't Know How to Love Him over an acoustic guitar, but he's singing it a little bit out of tune. Mm -hmm. Which then takes him into uh, the bridge, which is used as his 
building up to his suicide, which is built over his theme from, from before of the bam, 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 and he's speaking over it about, you know, uh, you knew this was going to happen, and, and uh, I've betrayed you, and I've betrayed myself, and then you have that organ transition that comes out of nowhere, which is like the most fascinating, beautiful thing, and builds into the Heaven on Their Minds riff, and he sings all this stuff out of key, and then the So Long Judas, which we heard at the end of Act 1, when he when it was well done Judas for selling out Jesus and where he could get caught. Mm-hmm. So every theme right. comes back to haunt him. Mm. And you see that throughout the rest of the act. So we're gonna move on to our why is this so good section of the podcast. Great. And um, we're gonna talk about uh, the kind of would you say you would say they're one song together? It's sort of. I mean, it's it's the main song, and then there's like the reprise of it. But in the sense that it's kind of the I want song, I, I put them together. Mm-hmm. So this is I'm not that guy, and I'm so that guy <laughs> from Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Yes, written by Michael Friedman and Alex Timbers. Alex Timbers. The the songs are written by Michael Friedman. Right. I thought this show Mm -hmm. sounded like legitimate rock and roll on Broadway. It was real, like, late 90s, early 2000s, pop, punk, angsty rock. Yeah. And I think this song is, like, a really good distillation of Mm -hmm. that in terms of not just the music but the lyrical style. Yeah. And then also saying that it's really moving the plot forward. So... uh, you know, in honor of, of Michael Friedman, which is just, like, a devastating mm-hmm. loss, uh, I thought it would be nice to bring this in. What I love about this song, besides the fact that it's super catchy, yeah, and Benjamin Walker just nails it on the original cast album, I really love the idea that this is the anti-I want song. Mm-hmm. It's basically about what I don't like, and in a sense, what I don't want, yeah. and morphs into... This is what I'm going to do because I don't have any other choice. Uh So you have him coming out and saying this super angsty, you know, I wish you were dead so I could paint you a different color. Uh, My family's dead now and I can't see a way to carry on. I can't do these things you want me to do. And life sucks. Uh And I just love that he comes out and says, life sucks. And you're like, okay, I'm so interested in you. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, who comes out on a musical theater Broadway stage and goes, life sucks. Yeah. And my life sucks in particular. And, you know, he says, how do you find your way when your country doesn't have a place for you? How do you have your say? How do you make them pay? Okay, there's our rhyme. There's, there's, uh, some, rhymes, there's yeah. some rhymes. And they're very simple, which yeah. I love because it's punk rock. sucks in particular life sucks and my life sucks in particular when you have no one to show you what to do how do you find your way when your country doesn't have a place for you how do you have your say how do you make them pay those wealthy new england congress but and this is this is spoken 
Right. This is yeah. Spoke, and he has a little monologue where he talks about all the people in New England uh, government who are terrible and are taxing them. And, you know, it, it's sort of like a Vita. It's like that battle mm-hmm. between the lower and the upper classes. Yeah. And I think it's really setting up this idea that for him, there's there's nothing left here, which is what he says. Like, I need to leave Tennessee. I got to pick up my rifle. Mm-hmm. So we know that this character is going to get violent. Yeah. Uh, you always said I should be like that. And guess what? I'm telling you. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Who am I? I'm Andrew Swearer Jackson. Mm-hmm. And my life sucks in particular. And I love that he comes out and says, I'm Andrew Jackson. Like, woohoo, I'm here. Like in that musical theater declamatory yeah. way. And my life sucks. And then you have that weird little thing where it's the upward strum uh, rock and roll little aside where he goes... The rain will rain down. <laughs> the blood will bleed out. The sweat will sweat mm, forth. Mm-hmm. Which, what I also think is so great about this song is they're not afraid to acknowledge that we're living in a world of ridiculousness. Yeah. Like, lyrically and musically, we're not just saying, uh, we're going to do punk rock because we want to do punk rock. We're doing punk rock because it's absolutely ridiculous for Andrew Jackson in this time period to come out and say that but when you think about it he was exceptionally angsty Mm -hmm. and rebellious so this is doing such a good job of setting that while giving you a nice laugh yeah and then he says how can I be that guy how can I be that guy so he wants this then we get to like his want I think you sort of do in a questioning format yeah but we have to get to the next part. Uh. So this is what I love about it. It's not really an I want song that gave you the answer. You then have another scene where some more negative things happen in Andrew Jackson's world, and he finally says, okay, I have to do this. And you have him in the chorus come out and say, sometimes you have to take the initiative. Then you have more jokes. Sometimes your whole family dies of cholera. (laughs) Sometimes you have to shoot the storyteller in the neck. Sometimes you have to take back the country. Oh, okay. So here's something I I need to do. Maybe it's not a want in the sense, but it's a mission. We're getting a mission statement. Sometimes you have to kill everyone, everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone, 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 everyone. And then you have this thing which is overlapping in the background, which you have to listen for, which is this stuff that came from earlier in the show with the ensemble going, why wouldn't you ever go out with me in school? (laughs) Which is like the most random, angsty, you know, like My Chemical Romance Fallout Boy. I always thought I'd never be that guy, which is what he said in the first part. In like, I'm not that guy, part one. Now he's saying, but guess what? I'm telling you. I never thought I'd be that guy, but guess what? I'm telling you. I'm so that guy. And of course, the the ensemble is layering what they sang before. Yeah. Underneath that, he's singing, I'm so that guy, I'm so that guy. And then underneath, they also layer in the populism, yeah, yeah, which was Mm -hmm. the opening of the show. And now we're understanding that he's going to take that idea and actually run with it. And he says, life sucks and this time, and your life's going to suck <laughs> universally, which I think is so great on a couple levels. First of all, right. I think it's very clever that he used that and flipped it. Because before it said, my, my life, life sucks. sucks. So in now per- it's your... In particular. In particular. Yeah. And now he's saying, instead of uh, my life, it's your life's going to suck. Your life's going to suck. Okay, great. So we 
like this person? I mean, I'm really fascinated by you, but you're telling me your life's going to suck and you're pointing at the audience while you do it. And then instead of particular, it's universally, which I think is just a funny word to sing in this punk rock fashion. Right. Uh, And then, of course, you have sometimes with guns, sometimes with speeches, too. They have to fit in the word, too. You know, which when you, you know, sometimes with guns, sometimes with speech is too. It's so grammatically bizarre in yeah. its setting that it's almost cute. And I love that about mm-hmm. it. And then he says, I will make them all bleed. And you get the gunshot. And I think it's very clear now what this character wants and what he's going to do. And you might be terrified by it, but you're certainly intrigued. Yeah. And you certainly understand that we live in this punk rock world where anything kind of goes. Sometimes you have to take the initiative. Sometimes your whole family dies of cholera. Sometimes you have to make your own story. Sometimes you have to shoot the storyteller in the neck. Sometimes you have to take back the country. Sometimes you have to kill everyone, 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 everyone. I always thought I'd never be that guy. Guess what? I'm telling you. I always thought I'd never be that guy, but guess what? I'm telling you. I will make them all bleed! Let's move on to our final section. Yes. Which is something wonderful. I'm so curious about Moulin Rouge from everything I read because apparently these mashups of pop songs are really, really well done and fascinating. And sometimes it's like one verse of a song and then they go into another one and another one and another one. I just can't wait to see how they do it and how it works uh, in terms of a musical theater storytelling way. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, share it with your friends, and like our Facebook page, Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald, and check back here in two weeks for our next episode.